Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. You know, it's all right. If you want to holler out amen every now and then, you can do that. I just want to let you know that. It's okay. I, I checked with Rev Mark. It's okay. <laughs> Beloved, our reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew. Now, I have to admit that sometimes Matthew is a really hard gospel to read. It is direct and at times can be unsettling. It is not the first gospel to be written. The earliest documents of the New Testament are actually Paul's epistles. Scholarly consensus tells us that actually the gospel according to Mark was the first to appear around 70 CE, and most scholars agree that both Luke and Matthew used Mark as a resource, Matthew written in Antioch between 85 and 90 CE. In fact, 90% of the material in Mark appears in Matthew. Indeed, the story that we'll hear today, many believe, is a retelling of a story found in Mark chapter 8. Yet while Matthew was not the first to be written in our Bible, Matthew is the first to present itself to the reader. Why? Because it is primarily a teaching document. In a way, Matthew sets the stage for all of the other gospel accounts. Matthew's gospel is laced with seven basic teaching discourses, teaching upon almost every aspect of religious and common life. The author of Matthew leans into the idea that faith and ethics intersect. The Christ that the author of Matthew presents confronts us and forces us to think about how our faith should affect how we behave. And frankly, I don't know about you, that can be unsettling sometimes. Our reading today takes place on the shores of Galilee. The disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and bring word of John's execution at the hands of King Herod. Upon receiving the news, perhaps fueled by grief, I don't know, Jesus withdraws to a place of solitude. And still thousands upon thousands of people seek out Jesus. And rather than turning the crowds away, Jesus moves toward them and showers them with compassion. Let us turn and bear witness to an incredible moment of compassion and love, a moment where all are included and all are fed, both spiritually and physically. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21 of the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Now when Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food to feed themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We we have nothing. We have nothing but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit on the grass, and taking the loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples 
gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, beside women and children. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Please join us in our scripture's response. Give thanks. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the We begin a new sermon series today called I'm in, I'm in. It's two very simple words that speak of belonging and a shared commitment to a common purpose. I'm in. When was the last time you've ever said those words? Uh, the love of your life uh, says, will you marry me? And when you say the words, I will, what you're really saying is I'm in. Your boss says, I have a very special project that I want to entrust only to you. And you say, I'm in. Many of you who stood up just moments ago as veterans heard the call to serve your country and you said, I'm in. A friend of yours calls and says, I'm going to climb Mount Everest base camp. Uh, would you like to go? And you, in a moment of rare weakness, say, uh, I'm in. <laughs> the question is, what does it mean to recommit ourselves to each other for a common mission and purpose? After a long COVID-imposed season in which so many of us have been going it alone in the world, we're about 20 months into a pandemic, and we are arguably more non-committal and more disconnected from each other than perhaps we have been in our entire lifetimes. To say the word, the words I'm, I'm, I'm in, it's a rarity these days. In fact, it's more common, I think, to hear someone or even ourselves speak the very opposite words. I'm out. Have you heard those words? Have you said those words? I'm tired of this job. I'm out. 
I'm tired of this relationship. I'm out. I'm tired of this community, this circle of relationships I'm in. I'm out. I'm tired of church online. I'm tired of masks. I'm tired of that preacher. <laughs> I'm out. I attended a conference in Kansas City just last week. Hundreds of large church pastors from around the country attended. And what I heard those pastors say over and over again was this, I'm tired. I'm tired of getting nasty emails. I'm tired of being criticized on social media. I'm tired of being attacked. These are pastors. I'm tired of being attacked for saying too much or not saying enough or being misunderstood. They said, I'm tired of solving these endless problems. I'm tired of making these constant decisions. I'm tired of losing sleep and losing people. And I'm tired of hearing people tell me I'm out. These are pastors from around the country. It's a reminder that we are all tired. But here's the deal. We follow a God who even in our personal and collective weariness still calls on every one of us, asking us, are you in? Are you in because the world needs you to show up more than it ever has before in your recent memory? Are you in because even in your weariness, there is this hunger in your life for purpose? Are you in because in a world in which so many are saying, I'm out, I need you in more than ever before? Are you out or are you in? This is a great question. It's a question that Jesus asked his disciples one night in the story you heard Reverend Jerry just share. This was after a long day of teaching and healing in the wilderness. And he looked out, Jesus looked out at about 5,000 people who had followed him all the way from the city and from the suburbs into the wilderness to get, uh, to get healed and have their children blessed and to, and, and to get a sermon. And, and, and Jesus looked out at them and wondered suddenly at the end of the day, how in the world was he going to feed them? Jesus had this major crisis suddenly on his hands, but when you read deeply into the story, the crisis began just shortly before the story today. The passage that you heard just read begins with these very important words. It says in Matthew, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place. The question is, what was the this that prompted Jesus to retreat to a desert place? Well, that this was about Jesus' cousin whose name was John the Baptist, who had been murdered by the king. John the Baptist was the single most important person in the life of Jesus. John was the very first person, according to Scripture, that acknowledged that Jesus was the actual Messiah and then went and spent the rest of his short life announcing to the world that Jesus was the one. And in the process, John the Baptist baptized hundreds, maybe even thousands of people to prepare them spiritually before the Savior's arrival. John the Baptist even baptized Jesus in the Jordan River to prepare him 
for his ministry. John was the single most important person in Jesus's life. But not long after John baptized Jesus in the Jordan, John himself was arrested publicly. He was arrested for insulting and harassing this puppet king named Herod, who himself was so paranoid of losing his power and, and losing his grip on, 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 on the structures of, of power in, in the world. He, he became exhausted. In fact, he was paranoid. He was so mistrustful and suspicious of everyone that he was losing sleep. And one night, while uh, John is locked up in prison for insulting the king, you maybe know this story, Herod throws this famous dinner party, this lavish royal banquet with an abundance of food and wine and music. And during the party, Herod becomes spellbound by this young dancer whose dancing so captures Herod's imagination that he promises probably in a moment of having too much wine, he promises to this dancing girl whatever it is in the world that she wants. What will she choose? I mean, what would you choose if you're a teenage girl? Diamonds and pearls? Uh, A ski and spa package to Beaver Creek? (laughs) A Gucci handbag? What would it be? Well, she's coached by her mother, who happens to be Herod's girlfriend. Uh, This dancing girl is coached to ask Herod for, of all things, the very head of John the Baptist, on a platter, no less. I mean, this is is not just medieval. This is like Kardashian, right? (laughs) It happened. That's That's a tough way to end a party, isn't it? But soon after, John's followers, he had his own disciples, they bury the body of John. And then they go and they find Jesus and give him the report. Jesus, they say, your cousin John has been murdered. According to Matthew, when Jesus heard this, it says, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. I mean, who wouldn't withdraw who wouldn't withdraw from a world that suddenly seems so cruel and so unfair? Here's Jesus, grief-stricken, shocked, disillusioned, and just plain weary. And of course, he's wondering, not if, but when Herod will find him next. And so maybe Jesus says, I'm out. Not for good, but I'm out just for now. I'm out. I need to get away from from people, from the pain, and from the bad news of the world. There's just one major problem with being out in that moment, and that is that there's this crowd that's been following Jesus all this time, listening to him teach and bringing their sick and their children to be healed and to be blessed. They have no idea what, what happened to John or what Jesus is going through. They're just following Just before nightfall, the disciples want to send the crowds away. And they say to Jesus, look, Jesus, it's it's time for you to take care of yourself. I mean, if if anyone ever needed to be left alone for a while, Jesus, it's you and it's us. Um, We're all tired. Every one of us is tired, Jesus. We all need a break. 
and all these people, they, they need a meal. So they say to Jesus, we're going to tell these folks to go into town and, and to get themselves fed and to come back in the morning. But Jesus, even in his, in his weakness and weariness, still has compassion. And he says, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. I'd have loved to have been there in that moment. They, they must have thought Jesus had lost his mind. What do you mean, Jesus? All we have are like five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. It's barely enough to feed the 12 of us and you, let alone 5,000 people. Jesus, you're not making sense. But they were operating out of this sense of scarcity. And when they looked at the crowd, as any of us probably would, we would say, there's too many of them and not enough food, and let's make the, the logical conclusion. There's just not enough, and we need to send them away. Have you ever in your own life felt like you have absolutely nothing left to give? I bet you have. Have you ever felt like there's just not enough left of you to make a difference? Parker Palmer, the great Quaker theologian and popular author, he's spoken here a couple of times. Uh, He tells this great story about being on a flight from O'Hare to Denver. And the plane uh, began to pull away from the gate, but it just kept taxiing and and taxiing and taxiing. And you know that feeling if you fly in any amount of time. That that feeling of just, you're you're moving, but you're not going anywhere. And suddenly that that sinking feeling when the engines go down and you realize you're going to be here for a while. And the pilot got on the intercom and said, look, I have some bad news There's a storm front in the west and exactly where we are headed, Denver is socked in and shut down. And he said, so we're going to be staying here for a while. And that's the bad news, the really bad news. And this was long before, you know, they stopped serving meals on planes. He said, the really bad news is we have no food on board. Imagine how hard that was back then, given today, right? But he said, everybody groaned. In fact, some people became angry. But then he said one of the flight attendants stood up and took the mic and she said, look, we're really sorry about this, folks. Uh, We didn't plan on this and we just can't do anything about it. And we know some of you were really hungry. You're looking forward to a great lunch. Some of you maybe have a medical condition and you, you really need something to eat. And so she said, I have this idea. We have a couple of empty baskets and we're going to pass the baskets around Everybody put something in the basket. Some of you have peanut butter cookies and crackers, candy bars. Some of you have lifesavers and Tic Tacs and chewing gum. She said, if you don't have anything at all that's edible, why don't you put in a business card or a picture of your kids or a a bookmark? And she went on, she said, the thing is, I I hope everybody puts something in the basket because we're going to pick up the baskets at the back of the plane and then we're going to pass the baskets around again and everybody can just take what they need and Parker said what happened next was amazing the complaining and the griping it stopped people started rooting around their pockets their handbags their briefcases they got into their luggage and the the overhead bracks they they got out boxes of candy somebody got a salami some cheese some crackers So people were suddenly laughing. They're talking. And the flight attendant had, had transformed this group of anxious people, scared, 
on, focused on their scarcity and their deprivation. And she turned it into this, into this community of abundance and grace. And Palmer said that the flight eventually took off. It landed in Denver. And as he stepped off the plane, he, he said to the flight attendant, you know, there's a story in the Bible about what you just did. And she said, I know. That's why I did it. There's, there's more to give when we give together. And did you know in the story, this gospel story, did you notice that Jesus actually didn't feed the multitudes? The disciples did. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they did. And somehow it was, it was not only enough, it was more than enough. There were leftovers. How'd they do it? All we have is the text itself that gives us very little clues. Um, it just says they, they gave what they had. And it was enough. What looked like scarcity became abundance. Maybe it was something like what happened on that airplane. Jesus' compassion and the disciples' generosity were so inspiring that people started digging around in their pockets for little pieces of bread. And when they all put it together, they had more than enough. Maybe they put some money in a basket. They raised some money and, and door dashed some fish and chips for 5,000 people. That's a miracle too. As I sat with this passage this week, what occurred to me is we actually have not one story but two. We have two stories about a dinner party. In one of those stories, the dinner party took place in a royal palace and the other in the barren wilderness. In one of those stories, uh, the party was hosted by a king who was driven by greed and mistrust. And in the other story, it was hosted by a savior who was moved by compassion. In one of those stories, by all appearances, it was suffused with an abundance of food and wine. In the other, by all appearances, it was plagued by scarcity. But did you notice that in one story, Herod's party, that one ended in death. And in the story about Jesus' party, it ended in life. And the story begs the question, in a tired, weary world, which party are we attending? Herod's or Christ's? To put it more bluntly, in our own weariness, when our nerves and our patience and our own compassion may be stretched so thin that we are inclined to react in nasty ways, the question is, are we serving heads on platters? Or are we sharing our last five loaves and two fish? Because as weary as we might be, as scarce as our inner reserves might seem, God shows up and asks us, will you choose to lead lives that are life-taking or life-giving? And this story reveals two insights about how to live life-giving lives. And the first is that at the dinner party of Jesus, we are asked to serve the meal. Jesus says to us, you feed them. The great Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann, he says, when you are with Jesus, you are inescapably in the bread business. You need bread to share because it is the work of Jesus to feed hungry people. 
and to express compassion concretely. This describes the work of the church. The church, whatever else it is, is in the bread business. It feeds the homeless. It gives sack lunches to the hungry downtown. These things, they don't resolve the world's hunger, even hunger in our own community. But the church must do it because the church has always existed to be a place where the hungry are truly and really fed. In fact, later in Matthew, Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about the last judgment. And Jesus says, when the curtain is finally drawn on your life, Jesus will ask you some questions, one of which is, I was hungry. Did you feed me? And so we're about feeding here at St. Andrew. And you can, you can find food here at St. Andrew on any given day by going to our food pantry. You can, you can find members on any given day dropping off food and once a week transporting that food to some of our local agencies. You can pick up a just care backpack full of food and essential items and you can share that with, with real people who have real needs on the real streets of our communities. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat because the church is the dinner party of Jesus. It is the body of Christ on earth and it is in the bread business. And not just real bread, but also the bread of life, the bread of prayer and presence, the bread of support, the bread of service. In all these things, we we trust that it's enough, that what we have is enough. We don't operate out of a sense of scarcity. We don't operate out of the sense of needing to save and to preserve. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And you dig into your pocket and you pull out a little crumb. And you add it to the crumbs of others and it, it makes a loaf. Author Anne Lamott, she said in an interview years ago that she'd always lived her life as this fantasy. Like if she just could earn enough money, she wouldn't worry anymore about money. And then she got sober, and then her writing career took off, and she achieved great success, including financial success. And she got to this level of success, and she discovered that the drug of choice was more. And she fell into this trap of wanting more money and more security, as if she didn't have enough. But her Christian faith, she said, helped her overcome this scarcity trap. And she says... I know that if I feel any deprivation or fear, the solution is always to give. Because giving is the way we feel abundant. Giving is the way we fill ourselves up. This leads to the second insight from our story, which is that at the dinner party of Jesus, when we feed others, when we serve others the meal, we are miraculously fed ourselves. Every one of us here today, we're all hungry. We're very hungry. When we say I'm tired or I'm out, maybe what we really mean is I'm just starving. St. Augustine years ago, centuries ago, said, Thou hast made our hearts restless until they rest in Thee. And we're all hungry, hungry for the bread of life that feeds our hungry souls, thirsty for 
the life-giving waters of Christ that quenches our thirst. This is why the 5,000 people followed Jesus out in the wilderness, and it's why I think you and I are here this morning, hoping, hoping that we will be served the meal of Jesus, which satisfies our hunger. God's abundance is all around us. It's not just in real bread, but it's in the bread that we share in our in our fellowship, in our communion together, in our service, in our prayers. And there is quite enough to go around. I'll finish with this. John Buchanan, an inspiring Presbyterian preacher and minister who retired from Chicago years ago, he, uh, he once served in this small parish church in the western highlands of Scotland. And he was a minister there, and he met this other minister in a neighboring little parish called, his name was Johnny Dunlop. And Dunlop reached out to him in friendship, and they had coffee in this long conversation over which Dunlop told him a story about how when Dunlop was in the military, in the infantry, in the British Army in World War II, um, his unit was surrounded, and he was captured. He was taken as a prisoner of war and, and carried, carted off to a a prisoner of war camp in Poland. And Dunlop said the, the conditions were dreadful. It was filthy, it was cold and wet, and there was just one bowl of thin soup and a scrap of bread once a day. And he said, prisoners, they lost weight. Some became skin and bones, many contracted diseases and died. And the allies at the time were losing the war, and there was little reason for hope. And then things started to turn. Germany's fortunes began to diminish but the conditions in the camp got worse. And some prisoners didn't want to go on living. And one way to end it all was was to throw oneself against a barbed wire fence as if trying to escape so that they would be shot by the guards. And one night, Dunlop himself, sick with despair and hunger, he slipped out of the barracks and he walked toward the fence, unsure of what he would do next. He sat down at the base of this, chain, this barbed wire fence, began to think when he heard this scuttering in the dark on the other side of the barbed wire, and it was this Polish farmer. And this Polish farmer had a, a half of a potato in his hand, and he thrust the potato through the barbed wire fence, and he said to Dunlop in broken English, the body of Christ. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And so we go about feeding. And remarkably, we are fed, which is why we can say, I'm tired, but I'm in. Our takeaways for today are five loaves and two fish are enough to feed the world. And every day, Jesus asks us daily to give bread, as weary as we may be. Whenever we feed, give the bread of Jesus, our own hunger is always satisfied. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.